What the fuck is the internet? Hey, we're recording the podcast. Shut up. Good morning to you, whoever you are, because it is Morning Someone with our first ever guest on the Morning Somewhere podcast. Today is February 2nd, 2024. And my first guest is not the lovely Ashley, who is not with me today. It is a longtime friend of mine. He is the host of over 200 episodes of the KingCast, which is a Stephen King podcast for Stephen King obsessives, or how I know him. For over 25 years, he has been my absolutely favorite interviewer of Hollywood creators and luminaries at every single level of the industry. Please welcome Mr. Eric Vespi. Hey. Oh, thank you. Go. I'm, I think you have some more nice things to say. Also, you're a former, let me see, former landlord, former co-worker. <laughs> you're my last landlord it, that I ever had. Well, funnily enough, you you were, I remember you moved in with me at a certain point because I, I just bought a house and it was really close to where Rooster Teeth was uh, situated there off, off of Slaughter at yeah. that point. And Do you know when people would come to visit us? Slaughter Lane in Texas sounded <laughs> yeah, like course. such a Texas name. We would tell people it was South Laughter Lane. South Laughter. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. For people who don't know, uh, Eric was part of what I consider to be the first ever blog, like going way back early internet. Yeah. Uh, Ain't It Cool News was the drop we played at the beginning was from uh, Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back. Mm -hmm. That's Jason Mew saying, what the fuck is the internet? Mm -hmm. That's because the whole basis of that movie was Kevin Smith firing back at internet commenters. Yep. Really, it was the Ain't It Cool News forums. Right. It was based on the talkbacks on Ain't It Cool, which were... Talkbacks, yeah. Yeah, yeah which uh, Frank Darabont told me once that he described the talkbacks as a sack full of rabid weasels fucking. <laughs> is, um, but we the, the talkbacks have gained their own nor notoriety. You could look up, there's a appearance, I don't know, I think he was on Conan, or it was a late night show. Seth Rogen did an appearance on one of the late night talk shows and described was describing the ain't it cool talkbacks and was saying there was this one commenter that was always giving him shit and his screen name was Danny Glover's dick blood Danny Glover's <laughs> dick blood and the and the host I don't remember which host it is so I'm my memory is really shitty so thanks for having me on as your first guest having somebody with a really shitty memory but um, well Danny Glover's dick blood was not available unfortunately so <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> uh, but yeah no it was ain't it cool back then people it's hard to to I don't know, wrap your mind around it now. Like what, how important that was. Cause we're talking about the early days where you had Usenets. People had, were just figuring out how to use the internet. You had all these people all over the world who didn't have a single place to coalesce their obsession. So like, mm -hmm. any cool is that for movies? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what the video game equivalent was at that time. Well, IGN kind of wrapped up a bunch of different like right. Nintendo 64 and Dolphin sites, right. which was the like the code name for the project of one of those. And right. IGN wrapped them up to a network. Yeah. But yeah. you had that. You had like the Drudge Report for you wow, know, the, yeah. the serious news or the serious news. But, you know, that was kind of like the right wing then. And we you listen to the you go back and read those Drudge Report things as as right as they were then. Like they feel so tame compared to what right wing news is now. So, yeah. No, there was a little bit of a of a line between the people writing and the people commenting on it, right? Yeah. But that said, I mean, there's there's some really, 
you know, cringy stuff that, that it was written. A lot of us were young. We were figuring it out as we were going. I was, you say young, you were very, very young. What I, was your first interview that you did? The first interview I ever did in my life, not for ain't it cool news was I was a freshman in high school and I was taking journalism one one. It was essentially, I was trying to look for anything I could do in high school that was movie related. And the closest I could get to was like a movie critic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not like they taught film criticism or anything. It was just like journalism. If you can get a journalist, maybe I can get a job in a newspaper and I can be their movie critic. That was kind of my thinking. Before we even took the how to interview someone course, I went to a, uh, a concert, a uh, stand-up comedy concert for uh, George Carlin. I was a huge George Carlin fan. And uh, so I knew, relevant and timely right now. Yes. Oddly enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm an even bigger fan of fake George Carlin. I call him new Carlin. How do you feel the, about this? The U, oh, it's dumb. I hate it all. And all it's right, going to ruin everything. Yeah. But uh, but you're a freshman in high school and you're thinking, yeah. George Carlin. I'm like, I'm already going to the show. And I went and in my mind, I'm like, OK, I can't just say I saw this thing and talk about what it was. So I waited afterwards with my little, essentially it was a step above the talk boy from home alone Two. It wasn't like even a <laughs> micro cassette recorder. It was some weird thing in the middle jam box. Yeah. With a full length uh, cassette, like a full size cassette, not like a micro cassette or whatever in it. And I'm like, I'm going to interview George Carlin afterwards. I'm going to stay, you know, get a quote for my story or whatever. And so I waited and his manager came out. I said, Hey, I write for a high school newspaper. Can I interview George? you know, for my story I'm writing on this. And he's like, no, George has got two shows today. He's really tired. He's like, but here's my card. Call me. We'll see what we can do. And I said, well, it's no pressure. I'm just a 14 year old, you know, or what? And he's like, that's why I think he'll do it. He'll, he'll talk to you. And two weeks later I was on the phone with George Carlin and, uh, you know, I, the very, <laughs> I actually dug up this tape a few years ago and I listened to it and it, it's like this, it's like ring, 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 click. Hello. He goes, hi, it's George Carlin. How are you? Wow. And then there's no shit five seconds of silence. And then I go, hi. <laughs> and, and I, and I started off going like, listen, I'm, I've never interviewed anybody before. So I'm, I'm sorry if I fuck this up was how, you know, that's I, crazy. I put it, and he goes, ah, you know, listen, in my experience, you go through life and don't give a fuck. You find yourself a happier person. I think like the best thing that, that, uh, any younger people, can do is show that enthusiasm, show that, that passion. Like I was just having a conversation with my friend Drew McQueenie who wrote uh, on Ain't It Cool as Moriarty uh, about this recently and just how you look at like almost famous and uh, you know, movies like that, that that's true. You, when you see a kid yeah. with, with a lot of passion for something that opens so many more doors than, than like a 35 year old or 40, like me today, knocking on a door, trying to get somebody on the line. I know? agree. Yeah, no, I agree. And if yeah. you see a younger person trying to make something happen, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll give this a shot. Right. You, you remember how much time he gave you? You have the tape. So. Yeah. It was like 12 to 15 minutes. It that's wasn't amazing. long, but I, I asked, but the, the ones that I've actually connected with are when you can establish that connection. You talk to a big movie geek, you talk to somebody like Ryan Johnson or Edgar Wright, or even David Fincher, like some of these giant names that I've talked to. The reason why any of those interviews came across, you know, well at all, it's because they are passionate about movies and I'm passionate about movies. And, you know, if the passions in video games, if you can approach, you know, uh, like I'm, I love video games, but I'm nowhere near an expert on them. So like, but my in with Sam Lake and everybody was, they were just as passionate about Stephen King as, as I am. Right. So it becomes a real easy conversation. Do you have any idea how many people that you have interviewed? Oh, it's in the thousands. Yeah. At least. And this will, if you're listening to this, you're going to get really, you're going to feel, start to feel bad about yourself. Cause I certainly do. <laughs> Cause at an early age, the first thing he did was Carlin George when he's, Carlin, when yeah. he's in freshman in high school, 
But then by the time you were 16, you were writing for Ain't It Cool, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then when I got to know you or first started hearing about you, you started to get embedded on major film projects. Like, yeah. Did yeah. You might, you know what? You might have met Matt Holland before you met me mm. because he worked on the faculty. It's very possible. Yeah. yeah that, that was... That was the visiting that set is what solidified, like no matter what I do, I want to be in and around movies. The process of making movies is uh, it's magical to me. I, I have so many friends and so many colleagues that do what I do and they go visit movie sets and they they are bored out of their minds because, you know, you've made movies. Movie sets can be very boring. Yeah, right? there's a lot of L- a lot like of downtime. Waiting, yeah. I'm I'm fascinated. Like I would love to be sitting around screwing around on my phone on a movie set than anywhere else. You know what I mean? Like in that downtime. I I just love the atmosphere. I love the creative energy. The even the stress is is interesting to me. Yep. So it's uh uh, the being on the set of the faculty is what made me fall in love with all that. And you would get embedded on these sets, so you would be there every day, this young kid reporting. Mm. Um and then the one you were embedded for the longest time was when you went down to New Zealand, right? Yeah, for The Hobbit. Yeah, that yeah. that was like the real embed. There, there's been times where I've spent like a week on set. The Mist, I was on set for a little over a week. Um, uh, most of these set visits, they come in, uh, especially as the studios got to understand how to deal with uh, movie press online. Then they became very homogenized. Like I've done all almost all the early Marvel stuff. And, you know, they at a certain point from movie to movie, the first Iron Man was like, you know, we're just happy to have you here, you know, help us wow. or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, Captain America was the same thing. Kevin Feige walked everybody around a room saying this is the first, you know, here's a the whole movie was laid out on the wall in like animatic form. Right. And like showing the storyboards and stuff. And he was like, here's the beginning of the movie. Here's the end of the movie. You walk through the whole thing. By the time we got to like the second Thor movie, it was just like, we're not even sure you're going to talk to anybody <laughs> that's in the cast. We're going to fly you out here to look at a green screen. You know, ho- hope you have fun. Right. Yeah. So did you have a sense of the first Iron Man? Did you think it was going to it was going to take? I knew. I I knew when I, I did a visit for at ILM with John Favreau where he started showing me some footage um, yeah. during post and he showed me pieces of the dogfight scene where Iron Man is yep. uh, is flying around for the first time in the like the the red and gold and the jets attack him uh, and I and he was describing his philosophy then which you know is, he's embraced digital a lot more now but his philosophy was like I have to make the digital suit look real and the way to do that is to shoot it like top gun to actually take a camera up up in the you know the lower atmosphere or whatever get the crystals on the lens and you know all that stuff that that happens there and to make it feel real and i knew then that like no matter how the movie turns out like his approach to it was going to be rock solid and the footage i saw looked great obviously and then the movie comes out and it you know started a a whole new era and in, in, uh, to say in the least yeah. yeah just took off man so i mean i i did that but the hobbit was the one where i i got a call out of the blue and and um i had been on the lord of the rings set peter jackson was a huge fan of ain't it cool news and like and i didn't realize that at the time the first time i met him was at like a book signing after the fellowship of the ring came out i happened to be in la when they were doing an oscar push and New Line invited me to this book signing that he and Philippa and I think uh, Sean Astin was there and they were like signing Lord of the Rings shit. And um, and uh, so I, you know, I got a poster signed, but I didn't I shook his hand, said, hi, I'm Eric. I'm Quint at Ain't It Cool News. He goes, OK, good. Good to meet you or whatever. I'm like, oh, man, that's great. I'm a huge fan of this guy. I loved all of his horror, early horror stuff. And and this is great. And he signed my poster and I didn't look at it. And uh, this is in L.A. And I drove out there and I drove back home. The poster was just in the trunk. So like weeks later, I look at what he wrote and he wrote to Quint um, uh, best wishes from a fan, Peter Jackson. Wow. And uh, and then I got a, a I had a friend at, at Weta who 
I'd met at Comic-Con and they kind of gave me a heads up. They're like, hey, they're doing reshoots on Return of the King, um, you know, coming up. And I got word to, to Peter Jackson's office saying, hey, I would fly myself out to New Zealand uh, if I could, you know, visit the set. And he said, sure, if you come out, like, I can't guarantee we're going to be shooting then. Right now we're planning on it, but, you know, schedules can shift. But I had This to reminds bu- me of one of the worst stories of my life. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, tell, tell me the story. I, I've had some bad stories like this, too, where I've, I've made the plunge and it didn't work out. But this one worked out and I was there for like two days and I was over the moon and I had lunch with Peter like on the last day. And and uh, and he said, uh, it's really a shame that you came out here. We shot, saw all of Orlando Bloom's stuff that because he was a he was busy. They were doing the big bulk of pickups later. Right. Um, but Orlando Bloom couldn't be there for that section. So I saw them shoot like him sliding down the trunk of the Oliphant. And oh, really? Wow. And, that's cool. And uh, I got to be an orc. I'm in the background running around whenever he lands. You can't see me. I couldn't I couldn't point myself out, but I know I'm there. I picked of me in the orc outfit that's so that's um, incredible and i'm like oh you know i'm living the life i'm like at this this point i'm like 22 years old and i'm like just over the Dear moon lord <laughs> at that lunch he's like you know what um uh it's a shame that you only got to see you know orlando bloom shoot in front of a green screen it'd be like like we have everybody coming in in, in like you know a month he's like why don't you come back for that and you know i was i was poor at that point could barely, I mean, it's expensive to get down to New Zealand. We stayed overnight at the uh, hotel and the hotel was a casino called Sky City. And my friend Aaron was, was playing blackjack. And I had, I'm not kidding you when I say I had maybe $150 in my bank account. I, I was poor. Yeah. I wasn't making any money. The site didn't start paying me until 2004. So I was it's like a common thing back then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, so I, I worked for about six years without getting paid. And so I literally had like $25 New Zealand in my pocket and Aaron was playing blackjack and the way they play blackjack there is you can bet on other people's hands. And Aaron was playing blackjack and he went on a streak and I started supporting him. I walked out with over a thousand dollars and no I was shit. Able, that's how I was able to pay to pay for my return trip. But anyway, the, the whole reason I'm, I'm going through this backstory is that I, uh, over the years have like grown pretty close with Peter Jackson and Peter has been really kind and invited me to all of his sets. I've been yeah. to pretty much everything he's, he's directed, since then and and peter will find a way to throw me in the movie somewhere and uh for the hobbit i was like hey yeah we should do that and he goes great you know why don't you come out and and, uh you know this time and then i like three weeks later i get a an email from him going hey uh can you jump on the phone i'm like oh okay and he calls with the head of new line publicity or warner brothers publicity and was essentially saying we we want to embed somebody into the the hobbit while we're doing all of our location shooting so for you know three months you know you would be there every single day and writing stuff and like my idea is for you to do it and you can post your reports on ain't it cool news and uh uh and he's like it's a big ask i know and i'm like i'm in <laughs> you know? yeah right and yeah. so they, they rolled me into the crew. Yeah. Wow. And then you ended up in the movie as well. They, uh, multiple times. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that trilogy multiple times. Yeah. Something Gratiber. Well, I'm trying to think of the name of your character, the fishmonger. Fredegar Chubb. Fredegar Chubb. I had yeah. to Chubb, the, I was going to say Hedegar. Yeah. And Fredegar I, Chubb. And, and I'm, I'm a large man. So being named uh, a hobbit named Chubb wasn't my favorite thing in the world. But uh, that was something they just, <laughs> funnily enough, he was like, we should give him a name because uh, I sell a Martin Freeman uh, a fish and I'm only in the extended cut, but I'm in the, the first movie. 
And so they literally pulled up the Hobbit name generator. You can do it like anybody <laughs> doing this. And, and they typed in my name and it came back Fredegar Chubb. And, <laughs> and, that's and, it. I, and I was like, Peter, please no. And he was just so over the moon. Uh, I bet. He was so I happy bet. about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, listen, I've gotten to do a lot of crazy things. I, you know, I idealize Steven Spielberg and I got to watch him shoot for a night on, on uh, War of the Worlds. And, and he, you know, he talked. What scene did you watch? Uh, it was the scene on the hillside when, you know, when the flaming uh, the sun's trying to come back when the sun's bleeding? going up, yeah, yeah. up over the hillside and the flaming tank, you know, is going by Tom Cruise holding to yeah. go manning. I was there for that, for that day. And, uh, it was the final night of shooting and, and they're like, I did, I just thought I was going to go watch. And then they, <laughs> the publicist pulls me up who happened to be Tom Cruise's sister-in-law, by the way. Uh, she got fired because he was the, she was the one that like authorized the Oprah interview and all the, if you remember at that time, the couch, jumping I remember and, I'm a huge fan of Tom Cruise. Yeah. I love Tom Cruise. Yeah. And it's like that, that couch interview, man, that's stuck for a long time. It did. Yeah. And, and like, so the, I think that ultimately killed her as the, uh, as his publicist, but she was the publicist on the thing. And she said, she walks up to me at a certain point and says, Hey, he wants to meet you. And I said, he, who? And he, she goes, <laughs> she just kind of looked at me and, uh, and she walks me up to, to Spielberg. It was Spielberg. And I, it was, it was, we talk about almost famous, almost famous is a movie that very much like Jay and silent Bob. It was very much a movie that was inspired by any cool. But when I saw almost famous, I'm like, that's my story yeah. in a different way. I didn't lose my virginity to a bunch of groupies, but you know, no, it, yeah, but, but that you, same, that same feeling like and, as a young person being trusted in that world for sure. Yeah. And being folded in and accepted and also having that dilemma of like, are they your friends? Or are they the subject? And like all that stuff. Um, but I had a, a very movie moment that reminded me of that at that set because, um, <laughs> because they walked me up to Spielberg and he is surrounded by all of his heads of department, right? They're talking, blah, blah, blah. And as we're approaching, they all just scatter. It's like they all just, the conversation ends the second that I'm approaching and they all just move and leave Steven Spielberg overlooking his smoky hill of extras all in refugee, you know, outfits and yeah. he's smoking a stogie. And, and he, you know, he just, he looks like, I didn't know he smoked cigars. That's interesting. Well, you know, uh, I'm I'm saying it here. Hopefully, it doesn't get back to him because that was the one thing. That, no, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine if you want one. No, I'm saying in. we're gonna make that the promo. Oh, do it. yeah. <laughs> and I walked up, and it was an out of body experience. And all we did was uh, talk about. Uh, I had just been on the set of King Kong, and he is such a huge like old school movie fan. So he was like obsessed. He uh, King Kong was one yeah. of the movies that made him want to make movies. Wasn't and so he one he of the guys chasing Tintin for a long time too? He before was. Sir he, Peter got it. He told, well, he told me on that, on, oh, that, okay. on that thing. He was saying that, you know, you're I'm, the I'm, person I learned it from, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big Tintin fan. And, and, uh, I mean, but that goes back to your question is like, I, I fanboyed out on him, but you know, he, the fact that I was engaging him on not just his own stuff, I think meant a lot to him. He also was a reader of the site. So he, he, his first thing he said to me was, can like, is it okay if I call you Eric instead of Quint? Cause Quint was my yes. pen name. And I said, yes, please address me not as a character from one of your movies. That'd be, that'd be wonderful. And this is a, what you're describing not only is it incredible because you were a young person getting all this access, but this is also remarkably different than most people who cover movies. Like you mm. don't often go to junkets and things like that, right? Like those that, formal events that happened a lot more in the later days yeah. of, of ain't it cool. My time there. I mean, th th that time you were very heavily involved in actually, because my, I left ain't it cool. I had, you know, I had a mortgage to pay. I didn't have much savings yeah. and you know, you know, and it's something I'll be forever grateful to you and Ashley for is giving me, 
a chance at Rooster Teeth. I wrote for the No for a, a period of time, and it was the you know you, you became the people that caught me when I took the leap of faith uh, leaving that site. It's like the same thing as you worked there at the same time as Meg Turney. Yeah, you know, it's if someone of that caliber for mm-hmm. what we do is suddenly free, we have to figure out a way to right. make things work. And we didn't cover a lot of movies, but I've always been a believer in. You know, invest in people, not necessarily in projects or ideas, right? And you invest in the people and the good things will come. And so I was really glad we gave it a shot and tried movie stuff. Ultimately, I think the Rushith audience is video games, video games, video games. Yeah, I think we found found that. And so, I mean, it didn't come as a surprise when when suddenly HR wanted to speak to me (laughs) a year into the thing where I'm just like, well, I knew we kind of gave it a shot. We had a lot of ideas when I came on board about setting up, you know, kind of our own movie blog kind of thing. Um, but you know, I think that it was probably for the best that that never materialized. The one thing I do regret never happening was our poker show. Yeah. That, that like I was working with you and Jack. Jack Patillo, Patillo, yeah. And, uh, cause we all met over the poker table and that person. was definitely more yeah. Jack's baby. Like he really wanted to make that show, you and, know? And you guys went so far as to invest in like, you know, RFID readers in the tables right. and stuff. And the idea was that we would do, uh, an interview show around a poker table because one thing that, you know, as a, who've come to a lot of our games, the conversation at a poker table, it's kind of like dinner for five. I don't know if you ever watched that John Favreau interview show where he would just invite a group out to dinner. Conversations over dinner are, you know, naturally, you know, the guards drop and it does, it is right. Whatever. And same thing happens at a poker table. I was doing a show called game time where we'd sit down and play a game. Right. And then I would just talk to people while they played the game. And if they're occupied with something else, they tend to not overthink what they're saying. And then they'll, they'll, they answer the questions. Right. And press junkets. If you're not familiar, it's kind of like a, like it's a grind, especially for the people especially doing the, the interviews. Yeah, or, or interviewing or the the interviewees. That's the name. When you see like the the actors, like they pair up people from the Avengers cast and they put them in front of the poster, yeah. and it's an interviewer. And then if you see another interviewer with them, it looks the same. It's almost like mass production, but for PR. A hundred percent. Yeah. The yeah. way those things work is is sometimes you only get like three minutes, or some of the bigger people will get five minutes with these people, and and they just parade them in and out, and they'll just churn out. Uh, dozens of interviews an hour. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't, TSTV, I did an interview with Adam Sandler. That was press junket back in those days. And that must've been for happy Gilmore was 95, yeah. oh, four or five. Yeah. That it, I mean, the newspapers used to do it before the blogs, but now with the advent of video being the dominant thing, I think that online is like their main focus for, for anything. And I don't do many interviews, but that was an experience I had where I was thought I'll be irreverent. And I like took a shot at Adam Sandler Yeah, and he could see like this young kid and he was just like, all right, I'll do this. And he gives a shot back at me <laughs> right. and like just fed, but really he could have eviscerated me, but he oh, yeah. was like really polite and really gracious. And one of my best memories, you know, yeah. one of my absolute best memories. Did you, did you ever tank tank one of these? Uh... No, no. One of our people did tank. I was around for two tanks. Uh, Ashley was there really for one. We did one at South by Southwest. It was an interview with Seth Rogen for preacher. Okay. And the interviewer, uh, was not prepared for it. And actually was like right off stage. Like I know about preacher, like I'm right here, like trying to wave in, yeah. you know, c- trying to get like tag in if she could. Uh, and then we're back in the TSTV days, I forget the actress, but she was an up and coming actress, but she had been in a spuds McKenzie commercial as old as that is. Uh-huh. And he mentioned spuds McKenzie and they gone Oof. off. They just, they just like immediately Oof. disconnected and they were gone. Yeah. I can't, I I've personally failed at interviews, but I don't know if I've ever been the one where I've like, I, there's been times, of course, where I've thrown out like, oh, please, you know, take take the ball and run with this. And I get yes or no answers. Yeah. But uh, but I've never done that. Like, I'm going to do a bit or something and, and see if they'll engage. Uh, Wampler, who co-hosts the King Cast with me, that's kind of his thing is like he loves asking 
really ridiculous questions to people. And apparently uh, he did that once he wrote for a site called birth movies, death uh, before uh, that shuttered during, during COVID. And, oh, did um, it really? I, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. But his, he had, he had one where he did one with Ryan Johnson that like Ryan really took the ball and ran with it. Oh, He's great. like, I can do this. This is great. And then he, Ryan Johnson's knives out and uh, yeah, last Jedi, last Jedi. Yep. Um, uh, this is before half of the internet hated him for last Jedi, but, um, I mean, Ryan's great, great dude, but, and he would come out and he's a legitimate guy. We connected and would, like I said, in the same way that that's how, one of the reasons King cast ended up hitting the ground running as hard as it did was because, you know, over 20 years, it ain't it cool. I would not only meet these people, but when you, some of them you would connect with, like me and Ryan, like we connected where we started doing that, that what my girlfriend Kelsey calls movie autism, where we'll, we'll start <laughs> info dumps or well, no. So we'll, we'll start moving, quoting, quoting, uh, uh, just movie quotes at each other. Yeah. And I did that. I interviewed Ryan for brick, his first movie. And, like we were sending really random quotes of Pete's dragon and, you know, like all these like just random stuff. And we just connected and like, okay, we're friends. It was, it was the stepbrothers thing. Did we just become best friends? Like we're, we're friends now. <laughs> you know, it's um, funny you say that that's the theory behind the drops at the beginning. I don't tell people usually what they are. Yeah. This one I felt very proud of because it's it, literally it based on you yeah. essentially or your work. But most of the time I'm like, I'm curious if people will figure these out. Oh, I, I definitely love listening to the show and, and trying to, Trying to like, oh, do okay. I recognize that. Where's that from? Where's that? Okay, oh, that's definitely blah. You know. So we got to talk yeah. about Kingcast. Yes, please. So I got to hear the the origin story of how you started this because mm. it, it's a podcast that's all about Stephen King. There's so many right. Stephen King fans all over the world. I'm one of them. Um, I think I told the story recently about listening to Stephen King audiobooks. Yeah, uh, and uh, Ashley always walks out walks in at an incredibly inopportune time every single time. And can I tell you that hadn't been live for more than an hour before our listeners were like hitting us up on discord and, and Twitter and stuff going, Oh my God, Bernie, Bernie and Ashley, listen to the, listen to Stephen King or Bernie at least listens to Stephen King stuff. It's like, you should get him on the show. I read so much Stephen King as a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. Same. So much. Um, and so it, you know, it struck me when you were doing this, now you're over 200 episodes in. Like, yep. What, yeah. Like we, we 220s a- at this point. Uh, if you count the Patreon, we're over 400. So it's like, but How does yeah. that, tell me about the Patreon. How, what do you guys do there? Um, so our, our Patreon, honestly, like we are part of the Fangoria podcast network. So we get yep. a little, little dough from them, but like, honestly, we wouldn't be what makes us able to be our actual job is our, our Patreon. Um, and so we, we try to treat the Patreon, right? So every week we have a, a, a an episode exclusive to the Patreon. So we, a whole episode, a whole episode every week. So, um, you All right, know. our listeners don't listen to him. <laughs> we're gonna do way. We're gonna do way less than that. Yeah, we we were. Yeah, we over delivered at the beginning and can't back out now. But um, uh, but yeah, no. So we do we do a full episode for them. Um, but it's uh, it's what keeps the lights on, man. But the um the origin was. I love that model. Can I yeah. just say I yeah. love that that the people will reach out and they will support a thing that they like. I, it's, it's incredible it, to me, especially it, as somebody who grew up in the beginning of the internet, where the whole. The the whole uh, I don't know the rallying cry of the internet is we're not paying for shit anymore. So it's uh, it's wonderful to me, and and I thank them from the bottom of my heart because it's uh I don't I don't make like a I, I'm not raking in like monopoly money man over here, but it's enough to make it so I don't have to have another full time job. You can do so, what you love to do for and, a living. That's I mean, great. But you know the the how that leads into the origin story is I just when I left Ain't It Cool there was a time where. I had somebody who I know that loved my work there that was willing saying that I, I would put up six figures or so to bankroll it. Essentially a new ain't it cool. Let's hire in all the, all the old ain't it cool writers. Let's do it. And you know, I, I of course followed that a little bit, but then I was just like, I can't 
like I just don't see the path. There is no there. The audience just isn't there anymore. I, yeah, I, I, I didn't I know, I didn't know that was the motivation. That's interesting. I, I couldn't. You know, the only uh, the only avenue I think would work is if it goes to the old cool old school thing that ain't it cool was doing where it's it's a disruptor it pisses off hollywood that's the only site that i think that could exist but then you have to be doing it knowing that you are never going to get an interview you got to do it knowing that you know that you're going to have to deal with lawyers and lawsuits and like all this other stuff it's but yeah uh, but i just kind of surveyed the field i'm like this there's no room here so i but i did see the I think podcasting has a lot of room to grow. It has, it plays a lot of my strengths. Mm-hmm. I kind of looked at the lay of the land and, you know, d- tired of freelancing. I'm like the only thing there's two things that I feel qualified to talk about in depth. And that is Steven Spielberg and Stephen King. Cause I grew up obsessed with them. Um, and you know, and honestly, I, I just kind of looked at him like, I don't think, I think a Stephen King podcast would be very interesting in that we can share passion with other people who people, are asked about Spielberg a lot. Mm-hmm. There maybe aren't asked about Stephen King. Maybe they'll be excited to come and talk about Stephen King. Yeah, so. I totally got it when I heard it. It's like, yeah. of course. And then you started to line up all the guests from people, you know, the way you're able to do that. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you find all these people who are willing to geek out about Stephen King. And all this stuff, it gives you just a little bit of uh, of a push to where, like, in that first couple of years, we got, like, Jamie Lee Curtis came on the show, you know. And that was only because, like, her, Was that the first time you'd ever interviewed her? I never yeah. met her, never talked wow. to her. Uh, it turns out her godson was a fan of the show and told her, like, you need to do this podcast. And so when she was promoting uh, Halloween Kills, uh, she was like, she went to Universal and said, "I'm uh, my godson says, says I should do the show. And that, I think yeah. every time we got a special guest at Rashith, that was the first thing they said when they walked in the door. My kids say I have to do this. So now I was just looking this up online. Yeah. Stephen King has, it says here, and I'm shocked to hear this. This is going to sound like a stupid thing to say. 67 published novels. That's about right. Yeah. I can't believe it's that little, as dumb as that statement is coming out of my mouth. Right. Yeah. So, but you're now in the high 200 teens. Yeah. This your- is the fourth year of the show. Um, and so how do you keep going with the material? If you're like, <laughs> are you in the game of Thrones era? Like beyond the books? We, okay. Well, we do repeat titles. Cause the whole, the whole conceit of the show is that we bring in uh, a guest comedian, celebrity actor, whatever, uh, just person we like <laughs> will come on the show and yeah. they will talk about something they're passionate about, which is their favorite Stephen King thing. Right. Um, so that means that we are, we do repeat titles, but each conversation is slightly different because it's all coming from the perspective uh, of somebody else who's a fan of it. Like we had Brian Fuller on the show and uh, he gave an incredible queer reading. This is the guy that did um, uh, Hannibal and he, he came on and he did a queer reading of like how, as a closeted young man reading Salem's lot, how he read in a lot of queer subtext into that, that book. And suddenly that becomes a completely different conversation talking about Salem's lot. And gives you a whole else. new perspective on it for somebody who didn't have that. Yeah. So there, that said, you know, there are a few titles that my co-host uh, has, has uh, he's struck from the record saying we're not doing any more Shawshank episodes. Right. Um, is that the most requested? I'm curious what the most requested. Not is. as much as you would think. Um, do they have a shining say when they, is is up there? Do they have a, a say when they come? Do you ask them like which one do we, you want to do? Yeah. Now, now we essentially say give us our, your top three or make a case for for your top one because we can't. We found out very early on in the show where, where if we get we double up too close, the listeners revolt. They don't like. We did a a thing where we did lawnmower man one year, one week. And then the next week we did the really shitty sequel lawnmower man two. And they said too much lawnmower man. Really? Yeah. Lawnmower man, the movie, not the 
short story. story. In the Lawnmower Man, the movie, and short, and the short story. I mean, we talked it's about wild both, short but, story. Yeah, which has nothing to do with the movie <laughs> no, no, at all. The end of that is yeah. bizarre. Yeah, yeah. So it's so. Can yeah. I put you on the spot? Sure. Let's see how well we've known each other now. About oh. fifteen years, okay. probably. Yeah, maybe around that. What would I'm going to fail what, this what, miserably. What would be my top three? Top three king. Um, are you still? Li- I, I need some to some sub. There's uh, one I've asked you context. about a few times. I'm wondering if you remember. Oh, I probably you're the don't. guy when I go, I'm curious about a thing. I either go to IMDb to look it up or uh-huh. I'm just like text you and go, Ooh. hey, where's this project? Who's Ooh. got this? I'll give you a hint. Yes. You mentioned Darabont earlier. Okay. He had it at one point. Would it be the long walk? That's it. That'd yeah. be my number one. Long Lo- walk. Long walk is incredible. It's his first masterpiece. He wrote that in college. Did you know that? It's a Bachman one, right? It is a Bachman yeah. one. It was released later on, but it, he wrote that in college. So he was like 19 or 20 when he wrote that thing. And it is... I, I think the shining of his release stuff is his first like front cover to back cover masterpiece of a book. Yeah. I love Carrie. I love Salem's lot. I think that there's wonkiness within there in the writing, but, but running man is as odd as it is too, yeah. was predicted so much thing. So it, many it things is, so accurately, ridiculously prescient Yeah, and the movie, which has very little to do with the book. Also yeah. very prescient in also, a completely different yeah. way. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. Completely different way. Uh, both are very cynical. And I guess that, <laughs> that tells you uh, everything you need to know about how things have progressed since he wrote it. But yeah, the long walk is one of my all time favorites. I think it's, it's whoever ends up making it. Francis Lawrence has it now. Um, the guy that did uh, the hunger, the recent hunger games and um, uh, what else did he do? I think that that's what I know him for. Um, oh, I am legend. He did. I am legend. Uh, he has it now. I, I don't know if it'll get made. There's been a lot of arguments about like, can we in this day and age of school shootings, you know, have a bunch of teenagers getting mowed down, you know, during well, you, the contest. You but. couldn't do rage, right? Which is around that same time. He, well, you couldn't do it because King would never allow it. That That's the one book that he's uh, he's pulled from publication. So has he really? Yeah. So the, the rage is a Bachman book. For, if you don't know about it, it's a Bachman book about a kid that goes in and holds his, he kills his teacher and holds yes. his, his class at, in uh, at gunpoint. Um, so it's like a high school thing, but, but the reason he pulled it was because there was a string of school shootings in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, w- and I think either both of them were, had, had tied to rage. Like one of them, the kid who held up the, his class or shot somebody or brought the gun or whatever happened. Uh, they found the Bachman books in his locker. And another one said specifically he did it because he read it about it and read about the story rage and no shit. Yeah. So he, so King pulled a, a Kubrick and pulled it. Like if you remember yeah. Kubrick pulled the clockwork orange, orange yeah. after uh, a bunch of copycat uh, beatings were going on in, in London. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be horrifying when a piece of art you put out there then, yeah. you know, becomes the inspiration for horrible. All acts. right. So long walk. You- yeah, well, yeah, I, I was really just, I asked you the top three to see if you would get to long walk oh, okay. and, you, and you nailed it right after that. That is the one Stephen King thing that I'm just, I'm, I'm dying to see an interpretation of that on screen. I'm dying to see it. It it could be with somebody it like, it makes me wish Darabont, you know, could just get somebody would just give him $20 million. Go, go make this. You know what I mean? It's like it, because he, he's got the eye for it. He's got the willingness to go very dark with Mm -hmm. it. And it's a story that needs to go dark. If people don't know, know the story, the stories, it's like a dystopian future where, uh, like there's a contest that happens every year where they take teenagers, a hundred teenagers, and they, they have them start off in Maine at the, like the, the Canada border. Right. Yep. And walk they just start walking into Maine. Everything's and, always Maine, right? Yeah. It's all, yeah. almost always Maine. He, he'll do Colorado and Florida from time to time. And he even done, he's done Texas recently too. As the out, outsider. Yeah. But all these kids, they, they go, there's a contest where, uh, they walk and they have to keep going three miles per hour or more. 
And if they don't, they get a warning. Yep. If they get three warnings within an hour, they get shot in the head. They get dragged to the side of the road and shot by the military. Yeah. And, uh, and if memory serves, it's 50 of them and they start. A hundred. A hundred. And they just start walking and they, that's it. They start they, walking and then there's it, one left, you know? Yeah. Until, until there's one lone survivor and that person gets everything that they ever wanted, you know, in this kind of dictatorship, military dictatorship future. Yeah. And they get the, the prize. Yeah. Get the which prize. Is, and, and, it's, and then they even trot out the former winners and it's like, they don't keep them on screen very long because yeah. what they go through and the people they end up becoming and the relationships they form, which then all, but you know, they all end every right. relationship in that book book ends because everyone dies except for the winner. And and it's incredible too, because you get all these little factions. It's, yeah. it's very much like, uh, like, uh, uh, all these, uh, reality shows and stuff, right? I was going to say like battle Royale. Yeah. It's, it's right? battle Royale. Yeah. It's, you know, weirdly enough, it's like, you know, maybe amazing race, you know, or whatever. It's like, you have all these things where like you have these friends that you develop, but they're also your competitors, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, I I love that. There's another book that he wrote um, in, in fairly recent time that we always champion on the show. It's called Revival, and it is to me it is up there in his top ten. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a very bleak, dark. It's him playing a little bit in H.P. Lovecraft cosmic horror territory, but it's all about this preacher whose family dies, and yeah. he ta- doesn't take it very well. And so he's this really. Uh, altruistic, optimistic young man at the beginning of the story. And it's a relationship told between him and it, or it's a story told about his relationship with a younger person in his, in his, uh, uh, church. And, uh, as they, as he grows up and you find out that this guy was really destroyed by his family dying and has been experimenting with what he calls secret electricity. And that's the one you'd love, most like to see made that hasn't been made yet. Mike I mean, Flanagan had it for a while. He wrote a script. Flanagan did Gerald's game. He did Dr. Sleep. Um, Gerald's game was surprising because I read that and thought I'm not interested in this. And the movie was incredible. He, Mike Flanagan, we, we, uh, he's been on the show multiple times. He's become a friend. This dude is, he's a miracle worker, both Dr. Sleep and, um, Gerald's game are movies that should not have worked. They, they work on, they could, the story can work on the page. You know, Dr. Gerald's game is all about a, a woman handcuffed to their bed. Her husband, their She's having kinky sex with her husband and he dies and she's handcuffed to the bed. And right. So how do you make a movie out of a girl handcuffed to her bed? Right. Uh, And Flanagan does it. And and he Ashley would walk in on me listening to that book about 800 times. (laughs) (laughs) Naked woman handcuffed to a bed. Yeah. What's the uh, were you listening to it when the sewer scene came up? Is that one of the the times that she Uh, I was specifically thinking about it. And then we, we talked a lot about the ending of it. And I think we cut that out of a couple of podcasts because <laughs> we don't know how to talk about it appropriately. I want to say thinner as well was one because that starts with a hand job. But I don't know if that's a, the hand job in the car. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, that distracts the fat lawyer into running over the, the old Romani woman. Yep, yes. Yes. Yep. That's it. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Stephen King and awkward sex go hand in hand. So uh, yes. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> yes, they do. Something well, I've discovered. Well, this conversation is the kind of conversation they have every single episode on the King cast, but with people who do deep dives on the stories of Stephen King that they love. Eric, how can they watch or listen to the King cast? Uh, we're everywhere. You get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, you know, any podcatcher should, should find us. Um, and, uh, if you like what you listen to there, head on over to, uh, uh, patreon.com slash the King cast. If you want more, we have exclusive interviews. We have a commentary there that we did with Carla Gugino and Mike Flanagan for Gerald's game. That's never. So the entire movie, you just roll the movie. That's badass. And you can listen to the commentary, you know, stuff like that. We, we have, sorry, we're paywalling it, but uh, daddy needs to pay his, uh, his mortgage. So what a good idea though, for a commentary. That's an interesting one. Yeah. All right. 
Well, please go listen to the KingCast. My good friend, Eric Vespi, thank you for joining us today. And we want to hear what your top three Stephen King short stories, novels, whatever properties that have not been made into a movie or a TV show, which ones would you like to see? I, I don't think they need to remake The Running Man, but I would love to see a really faithful one done. Yeah, Edgar Wright's got it right now. and He said he's going to do the same thing. Oh, Edgar Wright. I just watched yeah. Scott Pilgrim, and I really enjoyed it watching it for the second time. Yeah. My other one would be Eyes of the Dragon. Ooh, that's uh, a great one. Love that one. Recently read Fairy Tale. Didn't respond to it as nah. much, but Eyes of the Dragon I'd love to see. All right. Well, that does it for us today. We'll be back to talk to you on Monday. We hope you'll be here as well. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Eric.